Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our friends at Rhode Island Women's Choreography Project have just released their application cycle for performances on May 21st and 22nd of 2022. The project has a core mission to empower artists whose voices are not traditionally heard. According to the Dance Data Project, last season, 69% of all ballets in major U.S. companies were choreographed by men. While the project was initially founded to address the imbalance between male and female choreographers, it supports and welcomes applications from choreographers who feel underrepresented regardless of their gender identity. Accepted choreographers can either work independently or be provided with studio space, dancers, and three weeks of rehearsal time in Rhode Island leading up to the show. Visit their website at riwomenschoreographyproject.com for more information and apply by February 13th. You can find the link in the description of this episode. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today we are joined by New York City Ballet principal dancer Megan Fairchild. Megan was born in Salt Lake City, Utah, and began her dance training at the age of four. She went on to train at Ballet West Conservatory, where she was also a Ballet West trainee. In 2000, Megan continued training at the School of American Ballet, and in November of 2001, she became an apprentice with the New York City Ballet. In October 2002, she joined the company as a member of the Corps, was promoted to the rank of soloist in February 2004, and in January 2005, she was promoted to principal dancer. Megan made her Broadway stage debut playing the role of Ivy Smith in the 2014 revival of On the Town, which opened on October 16, 2014 at the Lyric Theatre. She received the 2015 Theatre World Award for her performance. Today we chat with Megan about her origins in dance, her early years with the company, receiving featured roles at a young age, a quick rise through the ranks, dealing with performance anxiety, and returning to dance after having children. In 2021, Megan published a book, The Ballerina Mindset, How to Protect Your Mental Health While Striving for Excellence. Megan tells us about how the idea for this book came about and what she hopes that readers will take away. Get The Ballerina Mindset at book retailers nationwide and on Amazon. Click the link in the description of this episode to buy online. Megan, thank you so much for coming on. I think I, I feel like I asked you to be on, like I saw you randomly on the street, like literal years ago. Like, yeah. like so it's been a very long time coming. Last year we tried uh, multiple times and then it just didn't pan out. So I'm so happy you're finally here. Yeah, me too. I was also nervous if this was going to really happen. I'm like, watch, you know, the daycare shuts down from COVID Monday right. morning. And so I'm, I'm happy that I'm here. Yay, <laughs> we're so happy to have you. So uh, we'll just start like we always do, just uh, getting a little bit of information about how you first became interested in dance. I um, started with tap when I was four and a half. And then, you know, you have to do the whole bundle of tap, jazz and ballet. And so I was, you know, doing each of those for like an hour a week. And then when I was eight, I saw the Nutcracker and was like, 
I remember feeling jealous, like, well, how did those kids get up on the stage? <laughs> well, I didn't know about that. And so the next year I auditioned and I remember I um, came down from the audition crying and my mom goes, oh, you didn't make it. And like, oh, no, I did. Like, it was like such an emotional moment for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then the rest is history. Then I really into ballet. I did, you know, I was still doing like jazz competitions, but I was doing ballet solos at those competitions and, and really like, the nerdy ballet one of my dance group. Everyone was like, let's skip bar. And I'm like, no, we can't skip bar. Bar is essential. <laughs> yeah. Foundational. So they all kind of hated me for it, but I, I was really, really into it. You know what? Doing all that bar paid off for you and that technique later down the road. So <laughs> um, this summer in Vail, we got to talk to your brother, Robbie, which was so fun. We hadn't, again, it was a similar thing. We just hadn't been able to get him yet. And he talked a lot about your childhood and the two of you dancing together. So tell us a little bit about like how the two of you kind of played off each other and your love for dance and, and his love for musical theater too. Well, the way it really went is I would be performing my little numbers that I had learned at dance for my parents. Mm -hmm. And Robbie was like, you know, a toddler. And he was wearing my little tutu from the year before <laughs> or my dance outfit, like something with a skirt. And he would be stealing the show. Like from the day one, I was like, but I'm doing the steps. I'm doing the right thing. And Robbie was just always getting attention for you know just being himself so not much has changed <laughs> um but as we got older like he was really into it in a very different way um uh you know I was really into it for the discipline and I liked that I was doing the right steps and in the right way and practicing and working on that and he was really into it for the creative side. And I, we would be like Saturdays, I would be spying on him from the top stair and he would just be for hours dancing to a CD. Like it was either Billy Joel or Simon and Garfunkel. And he would just like have a, a dance created to every single track of music. And he would go back and work on it. And he was like improving and choreographing and so much more creative than me. So we're, we've definitely found our own um, personalities in this world. And, mm -hmm. and we like it for different reasons. But we also really bond together. Like, if we're in a ballet class together, we're at the back talking about our new imagery of how to hold your body the right way or how to do a training. You know what I, we'll like be like, you know what I've been thinking? You're going to love us. You're going to love us. And, and we like share a dumb little thing because our brain's as, as different as our personalities can be, um, we're also so, so similar. Right. And, and our bodies, we we're uh, just laughing the other day. My big bunion's on my right foot. His is on his left foot. My longer <laughs> leg's my left leg. His is his left or his right leg. My right shoulder rolls forward. His left shoulder rolls, rolls forward. We're like exact body issues that we've learned to overcome through PT and everything. Um, but mirror images of each other. It's like we're That's we're so twins, funny. but we're not. I'm I'm three years older. So. <laughs> that is hysterical. <laughs> Wait, so I'm I'm curious when you you know you you liked the um, discipline and the sort of like refinement of ballet. When did you start to realize that um, that was paying off and that you had like a you know because uh, people teachers of yours certainly your employers knew pretty early on that you had like this really rock solid technique like did, did that click for you at a certain point that, that like your your love of discipline was like actually feeding into this thing that was going to help you so much I don't know if it clicked for me for a very 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 long time maybe into my mid-20s uh -huh. <laughs> um but like my very first ballet teacher will tell you when I was like five I am she was like she would just like challenge me in front of everybody she'd be like and just see how long you can hold your posse and I would like stand there for a minute and everybody like stopped and was like watching me so like, what? you guys can't do this no I'm just kidding. yeah she has like really funny stories and I was my family and I were kind of clueless mm -hmm. um so I always just kind of kept working on each day and working hard in the studio and it took me to the next level and then it was always a question in my family like well are you still enjoying this okay let's bump it up one more because they say right. that's what you should do okay now we're 12 now you should go they say you should go be at an 
all ballet school. Right. So I went and trained at the what's now the Ballet West Academy. It was called the Ballet West Conservatory. And my mom still made me do like one tap and one jazz class a week at like <laughs> other studios. Um, but I was really just focused on ballet. So um, I don't know. I like was getting like featured in the Nutcracker. I was mm-hmm. the Clara um, for three years. I was I was always younger than the rest of my class. Everyone right. Throughout the time of, of dancing, I was always in the class two years ahead of me. Um, wow. And so that that was, I guess, something. But it wasn't like, I don't know. I just, I you wasn't like walking around like, I like working on my technique. That was Yeah, you weren't thing. gunning just, for theme already. No, okay. no. Yeah. Definitely you were like, not. Uh, yeah. I guess I was just curious, like, if you were like, that's the kind of ballerina I want to be. Like, the, the stuff that you ended up getting, and very early on, like those, like, those big Tchaikovsky hard yeah. things. Yeah. That yeah. wasn't like, you weren't like, I want to be like that. You just, No, no, no. I literally was, when I very first joined the company, I was like, if I was nervous for like a little featured part, I'd be like, well, at least it's not theme and variation. <laughs> and I literally did not want to do things like that. Uh-huh. And so then when I got put in theme and variations, like what, two years later, I was like, oh, f-. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, you don't have that. Uh, yeah. This is the moment. Yeah, I, that's, your, that's your out. At least it's not theme. Yeah. I screwed myself over. I, so I had to really figure out how to wrap my brain around. Um, rationalizing that this wasn't such a big deal, even right. though I, that had been my big deal thing. Yeah. So um, I found, found that stuff very intimidating. I wasn't immediately wanting to be featured. I felt like I just found out about New York City Ballet a couple years ago. And I just want to enjoy this experience and be in the same ballets as my friends. And I was too short. So I wasn't in part of Serenade. I wasn't right. part of Stars and Stripes Corps. I didn't get to do any of these big, big ballets that they all were doing, I, I was in some things here and there. And so it's almost like, thank God I was featured and pulled out to do interesting things. Otherwise I, I wouldn't have, you know, really been having much of a career. <laughs> I think the company was taller at that time. Now, now right. we're obviously, you know, people that are my height are in all the ballets that I was never allowed to really be a part of. Right. That's crazy. Let's rewind for just a second because you mentioned that by the time you got into New York City Ballet, you said you just kind of found out about it. So what did kind of put SAB on your radar and what made you want to go that route and kind of like start to explore that part of the ballet world? I mean, I'm from Utah. So like uh, San Francisco, for some reason, was really on my radar mm-hmm. and Ballet West. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, uh, you know, Salt Lake is pretty, you know, central for auditions to come and and um audition kids so I just did all of the ones that came into town and I had a girl that was in my class that went to SAB the year before me and she said it was pretty great and there was this woman named Suki who was awesome and um I was like oh okay and I just chose to go to SAB because I got the biggest scholarship there I I mean I was just as equally motivated to go to National Ballet of Canada PNB the cure of something in dc houston ballet like i i just really no one was higher on my list i didn't my family didn't know anything and we just went where there was we got money and we knew the um new york city ballet nutcracker um where um darcy and damien are doing the potata Mm-hmm. We in my family call that the Macaulay Culkin Nutcracker. Oh, so we, my family too. Yeah, yeah. that's what, yeah. That's what so I do. I, it wasn't I, Balanchine's. It was Macaulay yeah, Culkin. Yeah, like, New York City Ballet. I'm like, I didn't see these, um, all of these videos and VHS tapes of um, what did they call it? What is it? The Balanchine celebration? celebration. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Those never came my way. I I didn't even know about ABT. I mean, I had no idea about anything. Yeah. So I was just. My mom was more into Broadway. And mm-hmm. so like in, when we were in Utah, we were seeing every Broadway show that came into town and I have a much more stronger historical understanding of all of those things. Right. But mm-hmm. ballet, we were just like, what's this? And, and I loved it and was good. And my parents knew that I was um, becoming exceptional in it. And, and really the reason we made our way to New York is because there were some dancers in Ballet West that had been around right. um, and then even in some European companies and they were like, get out get out now. <laughs> so that's that's why we made the decision. It's so funny because that was kind of as growing up on in California on, you know, 
over there, I, I had the exact same thing where it was like San Francisco Ballet was like the only thing I knew. And I just think it was the time, right? Like if you didn't have those VHSs or you didn't see the PBS specials, yeah. like the only thing that you would really see is what was near you. And so it's right. such a different experience now where you can literally find it all online and kind of totally. understand what every company is like. And so, yeah, totally understand that for sure. Yeah. It's a very different time now. Yeah. You're, you're almost like truly shamed if you don't know about everything. Right. And when, when I first came to FAB, Ashley Bowder was like, you don't know who Darcy Kissler is. And I was like, you mean the girl on the, on the, the Colin Colton Colton. <laughs> Yeah, I had that too. I mean, everyone would just like, they would really shame you. Like, because it was, you know, kids kids are the way they are so especially a lot of you know repeat summer students people who have been there last year that like then they love to just be like oh we know everything and and they'd be like you've never seen four t's and i was like (laughs) no (laughs) that was even like when i joined miami city ballet people would talk about new york city ballet i was like i have no idea i'm coming from california like i'll tell you all the principles in san francisco ballet and all about them like i knew all that but it's like yeah there was no way to know really it's so weird yeah so once you got in the company, you were, you started doing feature stuff really right, right away. Um, and you actually, you're, I was looking at, I remember at the time thing, this is crazy, but then reading it in your bio again, it's like you only took barely like a smidge over three years from apprentice to principal. That is wild. It's one of the fastest rises, I think. I mean, certainly in recent yeah. memory, but like. Yeah, I, th- I feel like Darcy is the the next faster one yeah and that was you know 20 years before me right so. right so okay so so let's let's get in your head during this time like what did that feel like was it overwhelming or did you have to sort of just like take the task at hand and not think I mean, big picture I was like when I did get promoted to principal it had been um less than a year since I had been promoted to soloist right wow. so obviously I was not expecting um, that to be what the meeting was about. And I had recently lost a 2-2 on a gig. Oops. Oh. And, <laughs> and it was on a gig with Joaquin. We were both being called in to talk to Peter. Uh-huh. And Rosemary was there, who's in charge of the corps de ballet. And I was like, why is she here about this 2-2? Like, I thought the whole thing was about this 2-2 I lost. And Peter, well, I had been told Peter wants to have a meeting with you. And I said to, it was Russell Kaiser. I was like, is it about the tutu? And he goes, what's this tutu thing? So they found out about it and they made the promotion <laughs> story like surrounding the tutu. So we go into the office and Peter's like, so I hear there's a situation with the tutu. And I was like, yeah. And, and so I tell the whole story and like Rosemary and just kind of like laughing. So I'm kind of like laughing as I explain that I lost this tutu. Oh, first of all, it was like an old old tutu with all of the jewels taken off uh-huh. and that had kind of turned yellow and it was supposed to be white so it was a kind of tutu you show up at a gig and they're like really you're gonna wear that and like this like regional little school had better costumes than right. eyebrows so anyway still shouldn't have lost it but um <laughs> they're all kind of like laughing meanwhile while he's sitting there going why the hell am i in this here meeting? yeah yeah so um, the tutu. <laughs> yeah. And then Peter's like, that's not why you're here. You're being promoted. So I just for a very long time was still so confused. Like, did that just really happen? And, and mm-hmm. are you sure? I kept saying, are you sure? Are you sure? And, and of course, Joaquin was like, yeah, that's what I expected. And, and he was 28 and I was 20. So wow. I, I was just like confused. And then I remember my first class after I got promoted Kira and Darcy were in there and I'm like their rank. And it was like, I found it humiliating and that I was supposed to um, be at their level. And obviously now I look back and I would tell a young principal, no one expects you to suddenly be a legendary, you know, artistically experienced principal. Um, But I felt so much pressure and, um, and so I cried, cried, cried a lot. And also it wasn't like I was given like some fun things to like ex- figure myself out as an artist. I was given theme and variations right after that. And so it, I remember I cried before and after every theme rehearsal with Sean, La- Sean Lavery and Merrill. Mm-hmm. I cried 
bombing my eating was out of whack. I couldn't even like tell if I was full. I was just like so stressed in life. Mm-hmm. So it, I've looked back and I've even told Peter, like that was, did not do me any favor. That was not a fun time. That was not like, oh, yeah, yeah I got promoted so early. Like it's a fun little quick talking point, but it was kind of traumatic. Yeah, it was I can see. totally traumatic. And, and my mom knew it would be uh, that day that I called to tell her, I just got promoted to principal. She goes, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, thanks. And <laughs> she knew that yeah. I'm hard on myself and I expect a certain level of, you know, and it's just so much harder to do all of that, not as the underdog anymore. And if you're taking a little time to be promoted and you get Say I got theme, but I was still a soloist. I would have been more gentle on myself. I would have known that people reviewing wouldn't expect principal work yet. That right. oh wow, like if she does show promise, look how amazing that is. Right. And instead, I was suddenly, um, and you can see it through my reviews for most of my the first half of my twenties. It's like not that it's like a disappointing review, but it's like you know, it it's just not as glorious and and let's say um what's the word when you give someone a compliment complimentary if i had been a soloist or core member in that situation it was like let's immediately it puts a dancer in the position well let's see what she can do like okay she better prove to us that she is worth this and i did not feel that i was ready and so i was overwhelmed and really the only thing i drew from was the fact that obviously peter thought i was ready right and i held on to that so tightly I was, I, I just had to reason with myself. Obviously he thinks, I don't even know about the ballet master in the front of the room. They could have a different opinion than him, <laughs> but I know that he thinks that I should be doing this. Right. Right. So, so I really relied on that. I wonder kind of what you had even really danced up to this point. So you're saying you hadn't done Serenade. You, like, yeah. yeah like, oh, no, what, I, I mean, so like, you're what, just doing all principal, I, like, all principal stuff, right? <laughs> like there was no, like, yeah, did you get I've even never, like your I've, footing? I've never been in Fortis with New York City Ballet. I did it with Ballet West when I was 15. I did the Sanguinic Corps. Um, I did Symphony in Three Corps. Mm-hmm. I was in South Corps. Um, Symphony in C, Fourth Movement. Western Symphony, Second Movement. Oh, yeah. I remember. Um, Cortez, the character couples, mm-hmm. like what the apprentices always do. Um, Vienna, I was... Um, in the second waltz, uh, so stuff that smaller girls would be doing, right? Okay. Um, and then uh, my very first stressful, well, featured thing was that like difficult little attitude dance um, duet. Oh, so of it in Chacon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that I found so stressful. Now I look back and I'm like, oh, now that's why I can see that I was justified in being stressed out because that looks really impossible. <laughs> um, but I like stayed up the whole night before that crying to my mom, like, I'm not going to make this work and my back hurt. And I just didn't feel consistent yet. Like right. once I understood as I got through my twenties, that if I can figure out technically how to make something happen on any given day of the week, I walk into that theater and I can be like, Oh, my body feels like this. But if I do X, Y, and Z, I'll be able to do that double pirouette from fit. Right. Mm. That gave me peace of mind, but I didn't yet have that understanding yet of being able to rely on my body. So at the very beginning, it was just like, I don't even know if I can get this done. I did um, Tarantella like that, very fearful. I couldn't even, in my dress rehearsal, clap my hands the whole way coming forward. I couldn't even get them in and out. I was so tired. And I was like, we'll see what happens in the show. Right. And I had so much stress in those first couple of times that I would go up to the dressing room and just cry for like 20 minutes because I had a lot of, yeah. And then. Um, and then, uh, as a soloist, oh no, right before I got promoted to soloist, I was 19. Um, they had me learning the lead in Coppelia as like a backup. Yes. And that yeah. Saratoga, like Jenny Ringer, Yvonne, and Alexandra all were injured. Yeah. And R- Rosemary's like, so you're, I mean, I didn't even know if I was going to do one of them. I had just been rehearsing in the practice room with Meryl over the spring season. And then mm-hmm. suddenly here we are in Saratoga. There's four Copelli's and we need me to do all of them. And I did two in one day. And I had this on my plate before I even knew if I could get through it. I never had shaken the hand of Benjamin Millipier or Damien until we were in rehearsals together. I had never done a pas de deux like that with a professional um, so that was this wow. insane experience. And I think that the fact that I 
dealt with that and succeeded actually. Um, that that's the reason I w- they were justified in promoting me so quickly. And and Joaquin wasn't even in the company yet. So then Joaquin joined after that experience and they were like, oh, look, they match. Yeah. So so then it was like a foregone conclusion to them. But I mean, I cried for that whole mm-hmm. Coppelia experience. It was just insane. I really remember that. that. Like, because um, it was it was just such an obvious thing. It was very like Peter to do that sort of test. But totally. it was, you were still the core, right? I was in the core. Yeah, yeah. Like, so it was just my like second year well, in the core. Yeah, like core dancer saves the day by doing double Swan Hilda. Like that is yeah. very like, and the, I feel like those things maybe used to happen a little bit more. And it was always so. I mean, for, for the audience, that's so thrilling. It's but thrilling, like, like yeah, your, like your traumatic perspective. If yeah. If you're like me, I mean, I think Bowder had an experience like that where the day of they threw her into Firebird, we all went from school and watched. Right. Um, but she was into it. She yeah. was game for it. And I, you know, she's like, yes, duh, I'm going to do this. Right. And I did not have that confidence at all. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was hard being side by side with her because she had so much confidence that it almost made my lack of confidence seem even less because I was just like, how can she? And, you know, she, she was just had it all figured out. And I was like, what's the next thing about it? <laughs> Yeah, I have, I have a question because it's interesting to hear you talk about <clears throat> offstage lack of confidence and that um, juxtaposition between you about her. But obviously on stage, well, for the audience and, and for Peter, that was that doesn't register, you know, like, yeah, for Peter would have taken a step back and be like, OK, I like her, but not ready yet or whatever. So um, for you, like on stage, did you feel that way? Like. Or did did things kind of melt away once you were actually present in the performing experience? I kind of did do well in performance and almost better than a rehearsal in front of my peers. Right. You know, um, one in particular time I didn't was Nutcracker. And like when someone's doing a debut in Nutcracker, everybody's in the wings watching. And I just did not do well with that. We fell over time and time again in that first um, Nutpaw. that was that was the Christmas after that Copelia summer. Um, they put me with Joaquin and we, we were still figuring each other out. Um, but I did a lot of performance experience growing up because I did jazz competitions. Right. Mm. So I was used to performing. Um, and while I'm not like my brother and needing to be the center of attention of a room, <laughs> I did understand the uh, performance situation and know how to sell it and right. was not phased by that moment of, okay, now make it happen. So right. I guess I, that, that is something that did really help me. Um, but um, it, it's more like, you know, the night leading up to that, that big show, like as you go to sleep, not being able to calm your mind and then even the day waking up, it was like everything I did in the day leading up to that show that I had that night that was stressing me out was like, I mean, I, I'm amazed I got through these shows as I did because I was wasting so much energy all day long being nervous. I'm like, okay, now I'm brushing my teeth the day of the important show. Like, yeah. like everything was like totally oversized. Right. You know, I think this is so, so important for all dancers, students, professionals, as ex-dancers to hear that you struggled with this kind of stuff because watching you, we would never expect that there was like this mountain of stress and worry kind of behind it. So I wonder how and when you started to kind of turn the table and start started to kind of understand your process, understand that confidence on stage, be like, I can, I can do this. And when did it switch? I think, um, mid, mid twenties. I, I mean, very, very quickly. I did that first theme. The other first people doing theme that, that season were Sofian and Chuck Aftegard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they made me wear her tutu. Like, obviously we're not the same size person. So I had, did my first theme with the tutu, like the sides folded in like two inches on either side. Like it was uh-huh. like so uncomfortable. Um, oh. So very quickly, I got my own theme costume and I was doing that every time it came around, Right. you know, 22, it was like old news. Right. right. And um, so 
having like it wasn't like I got to have a moment where it was like oh god here comes scene it was like I constantly had to be ready like that and I had to right. learn how to make myself work in such a way where I no matter what I'm going through physically I can call that upon myself and I understand why a turn works out sometimes and why it doesn't and what my body what I need to think imagery wise in my body to really get over my leg and do a really right. good double pirouette and finish you know mm -hmm. so um once I realized how often they were gonna ask me to do this and, and you know the more you get thrown out there the more you're like takes the pressure off of it because you're like getting to understand yourself in the role and you start to identify with yourself in this space okay I've, I've been here before right you know this is not mm -hmm. new I've been here how does it feel this season I, I feel a little better because I've been here but then and then it would go down it was like suddenly I did theme in a gala and I had a horrible show horrible like a double step a landing of a uh, end of a variation right. um and uh and, you know, you have good times and bad times and good times and bad times. And you start to, okay, why didn't the bad time work? Right. I, I didn't, I wasn't like this and I didn't mm -hmm. prepare like this. And then why did it work in the other times? And, and you learn from the good and the bad experiences and you start to be like, okay, like a big thing about theme, actually, I don't need to just talk about that, but it has been a big part of my career. Mm -hmm. um, is it as, at New York City Ballet, you do it with suite three. Mm -hmm. so there's like three or four movements before you and it's dark backstage the whole time you don't get to practice being on your leg right so it's mm -hmm. like 25 minutes of being in the dark and trying to pace yourself about when to put on your point shoes I'm not going to put my point shoes on during the intermission because then by the time theme comes they're dead so it was like a very calculated moment in is it the waltz what call? I forget what it's called the second, yeah, I, yeah. The, the two yeah yeah. <laughs> um, that I would put my point shoes on mm -hmm. and at the beginning of that piece. Mm -hmm. And then I would go and put my, or no, I put my point shoes on the, big, the very first one. Then I would go put my costume on during the waltz. And then during the scared so I would be backstage just like breathing into my back ribs and just getting grounded. But like uh -huh. there was no practicing. And that's, I think, a, a thing about being is really offsetting is that you've been in the dark for that long wow. and then you go stand on did you find your little glow tape in this blackout for two seconds find fifth position Ooh. and then bam chandeliers and bright light right like everyone kind of falls backwards so it's like how do you get on your leg after all of that that's that's a big part of it and and i just like started to learn what works okay one time i was like i pushed it way too late and like i didn't like rushing so I'm going to get ready a little earlier and like for me to prep and feeling grounded in the preparation of that hour to half hour leading up to the the moment of live performance is um crucial oh, I, I i've i very quickly learned like i don't want to be ready too soon mm -hmm. and i don't want to be rushing mm -hmm. so where is that exact fine balance for me to feel like this is like my most perfect rehearsal right right, right. Uh, that's a, that was such a fun inside look it's just something like of course i've watched sweet three a hundred times i just never I, i've never even considered that but like that is so specific but I mean, I can't imagine how jarring because it, then it's just like, yeah, floodlights on. And then here we go. It's iconic opening right. theme, Tondus. Thank God for the Tondus, right? Thank God yeah. for yeah. the variation. Yeah. <laughs> I think for audience members who are listening, like generally when the curtain's down, you have lights on stage. You can go out there. You can trial your scary steps. You can do like whatever feels good. And so to go for such a big ballet like that, and just like you're saying, run on in a blackout is, is very unusual. And, and for such a hard ballet, I can't. Whew. But then, you know, I ended up getting so used to that, that when theme would go without sweet three, I was kind of not in the right mindset. Like I, I thrived on that hearing the end of the scherzo, they do their soda shot and the lights go black. And the adrenaline would just like get me and I'd rush on and find my little glow tape and find fifth position. Like I got into that and then mm -hmm. having the lights on, I was like, what is this land? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so funny. So this wasn't the only, I mean, it's, it's fun that we've gone into themes in such yeah. depth, but it wasn't the only thing that you were doing that no. was like ballet of death, you know, yeah. like you did square dance you did with Peter Bull, dance. right? Yeah. So what well, yeah, I did it with Peter Bull and Nikolai yeah. in one season. Yeah. Uh, I remember that they yeah, were like, I had one uh, rehearsal. Idols. I know me too. I yeah. had one rehearsal with Peter Bull the day of the show. Oh 
And I just remember Meryl going, eat your spinach after the rehearsal. Because I literally just danced it super full out. And then I had to go make it happen again in the show. So. As a core, yeah. as a member of the core in square dance, it's one of the hardest things you'll ever dance and gives me all of the anxiety that you're discussing just in the core. So I can't even imagine <laughs> for the principal. You know, that, that something- ballet more, way more than beam. I really felt like throw me into that. I can do that. Oh yeah. I, oh yeah. We did the girls dance with Suki at the mm-hmm. school and um, it has some slow ceases and stuff that I enjoy but not everyone enjoys and a big batu to the side yeah. and it was nice and slow whereas like I don't enjoy that same stuff in ballet where you have because it's like so, I mean I do but it's like so fast in mm-hmm. square dance everything's got a it's very square even yeah yeah mm-hmm. um and so those are kind of the jumps that I enjoyed and I was like I remember when they put me into that Yvonne was going out and I had been learning it and I was like I'm ready I'm ready and that's just one of the few things I felt that for yeah, yeah. thank you for reminding me of because I forgot that was a pleasant experience to get Yay! but that's, that's what's good. so funny and interesting it's like I love that like everyone's experiences are so different you know yeah you know everyone you've done all these ballets and to someone who has not, it's it's at least in my head, it's easy to to group things and be like they're kind of like just like the Merrill ballets, right? Like it's just like yeah, you know, like theme and square dance or like even um, divert allegro, like hard stuff for the yeah. The, yeah. So it's technical just, stuff. Yeah, but that that they're all still very different and individual, and it's like right. you 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 know you can be terrified of theme, but then I guess love square dance. So yeah. Yeah. I wonder with theme, if you have any feeling that the costume versus versus square dance, for example, totally. is any different? Because I don't know if this is just like a trauma that they've told us that like when you're in a tutu, we can see everything. And even though like in square dance, you have like a short skirt, like you can, you're still kind of exposed. Is there something that makes you feel a little more free? No, and because something? you know, I, if um, think about divert, Divert is such a friendly atmosphere on stage. And it's like, you're at a tea party. That's not intimidating to me. And I'm in a tutu. Right. So it, I can't say it's a costume. I think it's the formality of the steps in theme mm-hmm. where it's just like suddenly this, it's that you're being a diva in a tutu. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. The diva okay. thing doesn't sit well with my personality. I have had to really play that part. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. So, at what point, um, you know, obviously these these were these roles were the kinds of things that like put you on the map. It got you your promotions and made everyone know how reliable you were. But what was the point where you got to sort of start exploring other facets of your dancing, like a lyricism or um, a romanticism? What were some of those first parts you got that maybe took you outside of this just like technique of steel box? I think while fantasy is uh, one, just even that first attitude and getting mm-hmm. to like explore those kinds of moments um, was was one of those moments for me. But I have to say, I was mostly wanting to be part of new choreography. And, you know, the, the casting goes up, which my brother was very much like we had mm-hmm. very opposite experiences. He was like, I would die if you put me in white tights and he did when they put him uh-huh. in white tights and i lived in the white tights right. kind of realm uh-huh. um and he was always being choreographed everyone that came to new york city ballet used my brother and i started to be like why am i not involved i mean first of all if you think he's good we're related <laughs> you know and i there was something like okay i'm good at preserving works of the past but i want to be wanted and desired by a choreographer of today Mm-hmm. that is standing in the front of the room that's like, oh, she's interesting. I want to work with her. And mm-hmm. I did feel that doing all of this very classical technical stuff was limiting me as an artist. And I wanted to explore like, in order to do theme well, I had to have a certain rigidity to my approach. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get to explore changing my weight and different things. And right. I was trying to be right on the nose with everything. So I was craving that. Um, and it just got to a point where my Pilates teacher actually convinced me. She was like, you're a principal with New York City Ballet. Anyone coming to work with the company would love to know that you'd want to work with them. Mm-hmm. So it was, I think, um, two Russian choreographers. One was Mira and that was about to work with the company. And then Ramansky. 
And I wrote them both emails and I just said, hi, I'm Megan Fairchild. I'm a principal at New York City Ballet. I think I was like maybe 27 or at the time. Um, and I really have always admired your artistic, uh, your work and I would love to be a part of your artist artistic process someday. And uh, Alexei wrote back, I'd love for you to be a part of my ballet now. Wonderful. And so I got to be a part of Namuna, but I mean, it was kind of part of the game that I was very reluctant to play. I was really opposed mm -hmm. to people brown nosing with the ballet master. I was, I came in the room and I didn't talk to them about personal things, right. um, but people around me played that game. And I always felt like that was really cheap. Yeah. And um, I'm going to, if, if I'm, first of all, <laughs> I know these things are hard enough that I want you to believe that I can get it done. Not that I campaign to be in it. Right. right? And I, I really didn't want to force myself into anything so that I wasn't overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I didn't have that ambition, but then I started to develop it for new things. And I mm -hmm. um, uh, learned that as a dancer, we're so quiet, but you, you really have to let people know that you're interested in working with them they're not mm -hmm. going to assume that everyone wants to be a part i mean it's, it's difficult to create a ballet and to hear that someone had that hunger um they're not going to be annoyed and and especially like i was you know already a principal for seven years or however <laughs> long when i asked so it wasn't like a far stretch and you know, I did like a demi soloist part. My brother was the big principal of the ballet mm -hmm. and I did like a demi soloist part. And I was just happy to be there. I mean, at that point I was just like, I just want to be in the room. Mm -hmm. So that I had to really learn that um, I have a product to sell and I'm the only one that can let people know about it. And it's my mm -hmm. job as a dancer to advertise that. And I, I used to think of it as selling out or brown nosing and now I realize it's it's just part of like showing interest. Right. You know? Yeah. That, yeah. <clears throat> it's interesting, yeah, to think about like you're you were so so relied upon and needed for one um very important piece of the repertory puzzle that maybe even someone wouldn't have thought to even consider you because you're it's yeah. like oh she's busy and she's doing this hard yeah. stuff, hard stuff. That, that was part of it that was part of it yeah. yeah like I remember like I remember sitting next to Justin watching you in Justin Peck watching you in tripod he's like Megan's just she's just the best she's just so oh that's so sweet yeah I was not in a Justin ballet for so long right and, and I eventually I think... just advertised myself to him like two years ago yeah <laughs> and now he and now he he loves you and he and he I mean, I think that's what I think is interesting. Like, I think he always loved you. I mean, he said it verbatim. He was just like, who can, I, yeah, it was Chaipa. And it was like, and we were sitting kind of, I think we were maybe up. And it was, mm -hmm. what was so cool is like, we could see the way you were using space. Like, uh -huh. it was just like, you were just eating mm -hmm. up the stage from that angle. And he was like, yeah, Megan is just so amazing. Mm -hmm. And so musical. Wow. And yeah. And Thanks so then I think shortly thereafter was when he was just like, he was like, oh, wait, I could use her. <laughs> you know? I think that's part of it. I did go to Peter and I said to him, like, how I felt like it was a conspiracy that they were keeping me out of these ballets. Everybody was being used for new things. And I just never was. And I said to Peter, like, how do I get my foot in that door? Like, why? And he said, my dear, I need you for fifth position. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, but, we need but you. Uh, at least you found you were able to find the balance that you were striving for and now you, yeah you are, yeah uh, and I had to you know it was the first time because everything had been dumped on me and I had to learn how to deal with it it was mm -hmm. the first time I had to be like oh I have an interest and an ambition to do something I actually had enough of a desire to, and that I had to make it known other the other way it happened was actually really stressful so right you know, and Miranda Weiss used to always tell me, you should be glad you're not a part of all this crap because there is a lot of crap out there, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, you're just, you know, you throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and they see what sticks. Yeah. Yeah. You're part of an experimental process. process. And I was getting to do things that were already proven. So she was mm -hmm, like, right. don't ever complain about getting <laughs> to do the cream of the crop. And so I always uh -huh. tried to not like complain to the wrong people because I did get to do the good stuff. Sure. Right. Um, yeah. But, it, it made me have a desire and, and and then I got to go to Broadway that was the real thing was that opportunity came around and I first said no to the audition like I'm not a Broadway person and then I woke up the next day and I'm like I can't complain about not being in new works 
and not seize this moment. Right. Yeah. So, the, okay. Cause we were definitely going to get to this um, aspect of your career. Cause that's a big change. But so that was right. the, that was what led to that. You were just like, I need to, to, to take this opportunity. Yeah. I was, I was, I had been doing theme and all of those for 10 years. Right. And that's always what I did. And there was never anything new. I mean, I was like very at a stale point where there was nothing new that I was learning for like the last five years. Right. And it, it was just go do what you do. And everyone else was getting to vary it a little bit more. And mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, then when um, it happened through a Facebook message, they Robbie was like, oh, they're interested. Would you want me to give them your info? And then they contacted me and. Um, I, I woke up that next morning and was like, you have to, you have to try. And I did it just like, I'm wanting to push myself. So I'm going to push myself in this experience of an audition. It wasn't like go to Broadway. It was like, go to the audition and just experience what it's like right. to do something different. And, and then I got the part. So that, that was like something that actually did <clears throat> practice in my head. Like, well, what if you got this, what would you do? And, um, <laughs> And I didn't even go there until they were like, so listen, this is going to be your Broadway debut. How exciting. And I was, I haven't even told my boss that I'm auditioning. Like, I uh -huh. was just very, you know, so. Right. right. Well, so, so how did that go over then? Like, what, what was the process there? Were you like, did you know, like, I have to go for a year. I have to go for six months. What was that conversation? To sign a, um, when you sign the contract, um, they only wanted me for a year. It was not okay to just do six months. Right. which is what I kind of fought for. And so I urgently like got in touch with Peter's secretary and I was like, I need to speak with him. I need to speak with him that next Tuesday. And I auditioned on the Monday. Um, and I remember we were like walking across the stage in between rehearsals. And he was like, so tell me what's this news? I think he thought I was like pregnant or something. And I was like, so yesterday I auditioned for a Broadway show and I got the part. And he was like, Oh, and eventually ended up telling me, I can tell you're really excited about this. I think you need to follow your heart. There'll always be a job for you when you get back here, but you also have to understand that people are going to have to do your parts while you're gone and they might right. keep them. Mm -hmm. But I knew deep down, there is always a short guy needing a short girl. And literally that was like how I left confidently was knowing oh, that yeah. I am the shortest principal you have. You need me for all of these talented guys that can do variations. Right. So I knew it was like, fine. Um, I was going to try to do a little bit of, um, they were going to do La Feed while I was gone. I was going to come back and do that. And just going in, like really like intense Bourneville dancing in point twos and then being in three inch heels at night, I knew I was going to get injured. Right. So I pulled out of that. I just told Peter, I really, if I do something, I want to do it 100%. I don't want to do both mm -hmm. of these things halfway. So I just, you know, made the decision to, um, to go full into the Broadway show. And we didn't know how long it was going to go, but at that point it had already been going for a couple months and right. we had done like the Thanksgiving day parade and it was a fun time. So I just went full force into it. I, I couldn't even get through the performance weeks, um, with taking more than one class a week. I, mm -hmm. I tried to be going to ballet class, but I just couldn't. I'm so I, maybe took one ballet class a week and then the rest were 20 minute bars on the carpet holding onto the wall in my dressing room. Uh -huh. And, um, and then I really trained the summer before I came back. I went to SAB while I still had the show at night. I went to SAB summer course, like I was a student hmm. and started from scratch for the whole hmm. summer course. Wow. That's was that kind amazing. of fun to like re-enter that? that? I, I do every time I've had a baby, I start from scratch again. I'm like, I've, because of that experience, I'm like, I know I can do this. And I right. enjoy the process of being like, whoa, look at how your body has to change for what it was doing this mm -hmm. last year. So it was really weird going from the heels to the point shoes. My thighs slimmed down like rapidly. I don't think that as women, we realize how grateful we should be for those point shoes in helping us create nice lines. Like guys mm -hmm. don't get to have that extension all the way down there. Mm -hmm. When you're in the demi, you're stuck in your quad a little bit mm -hmm. holding every time you're up mm -hmm. and to be fully on point, you don't really have to hold any muscles. So it was really weird. I, I got to have an appreciation for the way point shoes shape your legs. Yeah. 
So you mentioned having babies. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about that experience for you venturing into motherhood a few times now and then returning back to the stage. Yeah, it got to a point where um, my um, my husband now, he he has friends that are, you know, obviously not dancers. And so they have kids and stuff and we would be like hanging out with them and I would just be crying and in a huge depression after we were with them because I was just like, couldn't be around people that had kids. I guess I was like 33. I just started to really have like my hormones telling me that I wanted to start a family. And, and it was like a real intense jealousy. (laughs) I had to like stop following everyone on Instagram that had a child, all of my Utah friends with their four children already. I was like, can't be, I just like, I didn't like unfriend people, but I just like blocked them. And I like Marie kondo my social media. So that didn't trigger me to cry all the time. And, um, but you know, then, you know, you're really ready, right. When you get to that point where it's like affecting your life so much, this is like something that you see for yourself. And, and I'd always known I wanted to do it and I, especially having been promoted to principal so young, I felt that I had that real uh, awesome opportunity. Like it wasn't a big deal to step away to Mm -hmm. have a kid. Cause look, I've been doing this since I was 20, like that's plenty of time. It's not like I just got promoted yesterday. So, um, so yeah, it was like just something I just kept feeling like I I cannot wait any longer to meet my children, like mm-hmm. what I want to see their faces. I want to see what they look like and like mm-hmm. how they talk and like what we, how we are with each other. So um, it was really just something I'd really been looking forward to. And so coming back, it was like that, that whole year actually, it was like the first time I'd ever taken some time out away from ballet. I'd never been injured. I'd never, mm-hmm. I'd never, um, you know, and then even when I was on Broadway, I was dancing every night. Right. So, um, it was, it was like a real pleasure to just be like, yeah. okay, bye guys. And I went to, um, Bordeaux and did like a French immersion course for three weeks, which I would have never done. And my husband's family from that kind of area. And, um, I just did things that I wouldn't have normally gotten to do. And mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed the year. And then coming back, it was like, I remember my, um, my gyro instructor was like, you're enjoying this, aren't you? Like I, she's um, helped some other people come back from pregnancies and she saw that it can like be really anxiety ridden. And right. I was like, this is like a fun little experiment to see how I can like, I know all of the steps of what you need to do. And so I just found it fun to like putty my body back to what I needed it to be mm-hmm. and, and reawaken the muscles that I know knew I needed. Um, so in a way, each time that I've come back, I feel like I'm even more strong in my technique because I've rebuilt it from scratch. I mean, that's what a lot of people say about injuries too. You know, when they have a severe yeah. injury and they have to come back, I can see it kind of as being similar in a way. It's so yeah, funny. It actually it doesn't surprise me hearing you talk that it was actually fun for you to do this. Cause I can just tell you how this analytical mind and that you're maybe yeah. exploring something new each time. Did you ever think like, kind of when you were having this time about, you know, I want to start a family, but you weren't there yet. Did you ever think, should I end my career? Should I retire and then move on? Oh, to the never. never. And, you know, I don't know why I'd been in conversation with Peter about it at some point. He was like, it's better to do it sooner than later. Like, cause you can dance after if you do it right. sooner. And when right. you wait a really long time, it can be really hard to come back. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I look, I had, as my role models of former dance of uh, principal dancers above me, the people that had families. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was friends with a lot of them, but I, the people that had families, I zeroed in on Kira, mm-hmm. Darcy, Jenny Ringer. Mm-hmm. You'd seen so many and, of them do it before. Yeah. yeah. Margaret Tracy. Um, so I had no doubt that I would have kids and still dance. Right. I didn't, I didn't plan on having three kids, <laughs> but <laughs> twins this last time. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was pretty crazy. Like, I bet. It, 
it was a year ago. I was like hugely pregnant and in my third trimester. And I think it was just about this time I was like kind of put on like bed rest and not allowed to move anywhere. I think that's why we had to cancel because I was in the hospital. (laughs) And you had, that was one time. And then you had COVID while you were pregnant with them. Yes. Yes. It was honestly, that um, pregnancy was, I mean, I guess it wouldn't also surprise you to know that I really planned to do it during COVID and right. And so yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> let's make the most of our time here. I'm not going to sit and pick my nose for a year and a half. Right. We're going to get some stuff done. <laughs> and I, I, what I found really actually depressing at the beginning of the pandemic was the thought that we're going to take all of this time. And then right when we come back, I'm going to feel ready to have another kid and take another year off. No way in hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No way in hell. Am I sacrificing two and a half years of my career for this weird time. Mm -hmm. And um, I just, you know, really honestly love my brother and wanted to give my daughter a sibling. Like Mm -hmm. I would never, I almost just personally feel like it's like criminal to not not give your child a good friend and a good buddy. (laughs) At least that's how my brother and I are when when we weren't trying to kill each other. (laughs) Um, So so I knew that that was going to happen and I just didn't want it to cut into my career anymore. So I, I pushed to have it happen then, even though it felt a little bit early because um, I still like was making this plan when I had like a one and a half year old and I was mm-hmm. like really in my head, not super ready, but I just made it the time. And um, uh, that year, I mean, I was happy to have be pregnant during the pandemic so that I felt like I was being productive. <laughs> Yeah, but I also was just being pregnant with twins is no joke, and the hormones from day one are off the charts. Mm-hmm. I was so not feeling good. I wasn't like vomiting all the time. I just like did not feel well. I couldn't open the fridge and smell it. I was just like oh. disgusted. I just was constantly like in a state of feeling uncomfortable, and then um, by the time that goes away, you're just huge. So I have this picture in the bathtub where you see my belly like a hippopotamus. Like I, it is just rising inches and inches out of the water. Like right before I um, gave birth, like this funny like picture. Um, it's, it's almost like horrifying and comical and, <laughs> you know, it's just crazy what the body does. So um, I'm just so glad that time of my life is over. I don't super yeah. enjoy pregnancy I in fact hate it and anytime a friend now tells me that they're pregnant I'm like Oof, have fun with that <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, it's, it's so, I mean again just like just in the way that ballets are different for each individual like pregnancy yeah. seems like very very um different for every individual like yeah, I know I people think, that love being pregnant I think being a petite person makes it mm-hmm. a little more oh, not fun yeah, and yeah my husband's like my husband's <laughs> like six feet. My brother's like six feet. I mean, I'm the shortest person in my family. So while I'm a petite person, my first baby was like eight pounds, three ounces. So, you know, I was like, that's not fair. Shouldn't you have a baby that's like the same weight that you were when you were born? Like, cause like <laughs> I'm the one carrying it. Like I was I just <laughs> So then being pregnant with twins, I was terrified. Like, I hope they're just like really small. And everyone who's <laughs> pregnant with twins hopes that they're big. Yeah. Because you want healthy babies. <laughs> right, right, I was right. like, don't grow too big. Don't grow too big. <laughs> let's shift gears and talk about your new book that's out and this is so exciting because if we had talked to you earlier we wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to talk about this book that's true so tell us about it tell us how the idea came about and then kind of how you decided to first sit down and start writing it and really getting into it after my time on broadway i um realized that like all of these new artists that I worked with had no real idea what the ballet world is like. And um, they all thought it was like the center stage experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that movie is really what ballet is to them. And I made me realize like, we should demystify ballet to the young dancers and their moms. So I started this podcast called Ask Megan, which I don't like talking like I, I'm not I'm not like needing to hear myself talk but I felt that I had to kind of give back and like mm-hmm. the Broadway experience is so um this wonderful receiving of like you come out of the theater and there's just lines of people that want your autograph it's just right. like so I just really felt this like need to give back and I mm-hmm. didn't want to just like create a blog or hear myself just talk about me 
So I um, was like, you know, I feel like advice-based podcast is a little more comfortable with who right. I am. And so I would have moms and their, um, or their kids, right, uh, record in with their audio of about their um, questions about the ballet world. And then I would like make a podcast of uh, the responses. And one of the young editors at Penguin reached out to me because she was running a marathon and she was like, I've used, I found you um, because I am a Broadway um, fan and I started listening to your podcast and it's helping me to run this marathon I'm training for. And I think you have like really universal advice. And so we met at um, Le Pan one day and like flushed out, like we were like, let's see if we have a book here. And so I just kind of like, started talking off the cusp about big life moments in my career, big life lessons, things that I would want my younger self to feel assured by. Right. And, um, and that's how the book came to be. Yeah. Is anyone from Penguin out there listening to this podcast? (laughs) 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 Uh, Are you still doing that podcast? No, I did like 110 episodes and then I chilled. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Gotta focus on the book and the kids. <laughs> well, you know, it started to be like the same questions over and over again. Sure. So I just was like, there's enough archived there where I feel like I've answered enough of what I want to say. I don't I don't need to go on endlessly about every different variety of what do you keep in your dance bag, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's I, I think it's really interesting. You're doing I mean, your book is like, of course, your career is central to it, but like it makes you almost like a secondary character in your own book because it's about yeah. like passing on the knowledge versus like here is my illustrious career I right. I never like you know I remember being young and like reading all of the people's books and right. stuff mm-hmm. and I never thought that that was something that I needed to do I almost was like embarrassed by the thought of it and um, so this just grew incredibly organically and it's not focused on me it's a focused on um kind of lessons I've learned that I think that could be helpful to other people. And so they're told through my experiences, but it's not about um, Megan, Megan, Megan. It's, it's trying to really connect and transcend the industry. Like there's lots of things that are stressful in life and how can we, you know, do our best and come to grips with our, um, our anxieties and, and perform well under pressure. Right. What was the writing process like? How did you kind of sit down and start to flesh out these ideas? You had this outline of these 100 plus mm-hmm. episodes of the podcast. And then how did you kind of say, okay, this is what's going to make it in. This is important. Did you add anything so new? That day with the publisher, we fleshed out 10 life lessons and she helped me kind of connect how they could be universal lessons to people that weren't even in the ballet world. And so I had that outline of 10, um, 10 stories. and. Um, I would just start with whichever topic felt that I could speak it to at that moment. And I would just flush it out. It was almost like writing like a journal entry. Hmm. And then what took a little bit more time was, and I would do a back and forth with the, my editors was, um, what is universal about what I learned? Right. Like, cause I'm not a, a normal person, you might mm-hmm. say. Right. <laughs> like in, I'm, I'm a ballet dancer. I know right. that experience. So how did what I just you know go through how does that resonate for someone that has a desk job and and Mm -hmm, so my editors that did have desk jobs were helping me find that universal Mm -hmm. aspect to everything yeah right so megan you you don't ever seem to take any time off (laughs) you have your full principal workload you know you've done podcasting you have your youtube channel you have three kids you wrote a book what is next? What's in the pipeline? Because I'm sure that you're not just resting on your laurels. I I am. I'm going to business school. Um, so I'm going to Stern at NYU. And I'm, let's see, two years into it. And a lot of the people that I started with are already graduating. Um, but you can take up to six years. So I will be taking almost the maximum time. Um, I took 15 years to get my undergrad done. So I'm not embarrassed to take my time. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously focused on still dancing. Right. So um, that is just because I love to learn. Mm-hmm. I got my undergrad in math and econ. And so it was kind of like the next 
like step towards that focus. But also, you know, it gives me the option to feel really well equipped to run a company someday, run right. a school. I'd, I would really love to run a major school. Um, mm. And then I also just know my own worth. And I know that from my experience on Broadway, like I really thrive getting out of our little bubble of ballet. And right. so it's also given me the opportunity to just work in the for-profit world someday and totally just pivot completely. So mm -hmm. um, it's like my insurance towards, um, you know, good job security and, mm -hmm. and keeping the focus on stuff I like. Like as much as I love ballet, I also love school right. the, whole, the whole time on the side. There's that analytical mind again. <laughs> yeah. And I love that you, um, like you're thinking about how you could utilize that. Like so many people are, I mean, maybe, maybe this is false and it's just what I, we remember growing up with, but like people that ran schools or companies did not used to know no. anything about a business, you know, it was very like learn on the fly. So by you preparing, you're already, you know, putting yourself a, in, a, in an advantageous position to get hired. But then once you're there, to like make that arts institution bloom. Yeah. Yeah. And like it, it is such a unique experience that we have as dancers that nobody on the administrative side can truly know. And so to right. know both of them, mm -hmm. to have the language to communicate with the admi administrative side, but to really know dancers needs, um, that could be interesting. I, I truly right. don't know what I will do though. Like it's like, as I was finding SAB, like I like to keep all of my options open right. um, and, and just give myself, basically put myself in, self in a position where I don't feel that I have to just take the one job offer that right. I, I can kind of leverage my education to be like, well, I'm waiting for something better. <laughs> right, right, right. I love that. Oh, this was so much fun chatting with you. If people want to get your book, it's called The Ballerina Mindset. Where should people look to get it? You can get it on Amazon and it's at the Shakespeare and Company on the Upper West Side. It's at the Strand. I find a bunch of copies for them. Um, it should be at local bookstores, but mm -hmm. it, it's also always online. Awesome. Great. And we'll link Great. to it in the description of this episode. Thanks, Thanks so much, guys. Megan. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Have a good Monday. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.